Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Bill, and I'm so glad the lead-in here for this message today is Joy to the World. It's one of my favorite Christmas carols, and I love the first line, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. And that first line presupposes that there was a time when the Lord had not come yet. And we've been in a series here called Send Us Your Light, Praying in the Darkness. And so, joy to the world, the Lord has come. There was a time when the Lord hadn't come yet, and there were writers in the Bible, especially in the Psalms that we've been studying here these past three weeks, were writing during a time of darkness. They believed in God, but they didn't know the Messiah yet. And so, I love the Psalms because it's a, it's, it's, it's a beautiful example of people pouring out their hearts to God, all of their woes. And we've put, taken some of the most woeful Psalms in the Bible and said, let's look at these together as we prepared for the light of the world who comes into the world. Two weeks ago, we heard from Pastor Mark, and he uh, spoke from Psalm 13, and we heard that howling refrain, how long, how long, O Lord? Don't you hear my prayers? How long until you'll answer my prayers? Don't you care? We've been there. And then last week, Psalm 22, Pastor Mark spoke about all of those verses that point to the Messiah suffering on the cross, Jesus at the end of his life on the cross saying, Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The prayer of the abandoned. The writers, the ancient writers spoke of something called Deus Abiscondus, which is the hiddenness of God. I know many of you have experienced that before. If you've practiced the exercise regularly of prayer, you know what it's like during certain seasons of prayer, for whatever reason, that God seems to be hidden. And you can't figure out why. You're praying prayers and it's like they bounce off the ceiling. Lord, where are you? And one of the great saints of the church, a man named St. John of the Cross, he wrote on something called the dark night of the soul, this whole idea of the hiddenness of God, that we pray to God and yet we don't sense his presence, we don't sense his closeness, even though we know that God is there. Scripture promises that, but we don't feel that in our prayers. And Richard Foster reminds us in his book on prayer, he says, you know, it's not because God is displeased with you or because you've done something wrong or had some hideous sin or you're insensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit, none of those things. There are times when darkness is just part of prayer life. In fact, he says, darkness is a definite experience of prayer. It's to be expected, even embraced. And so today, as we culminate this three-week series this little mini-series we're calling Send Us Your Light, Praying in the Darkness. We're looking at the prayers of the depressed. We're looking at Psalm 42, and we're reflecting on the darkness of our spiritual forefathers. And that darkness will resonate with some of us. We've been there. We've experienced it, or maybe we're even experiencing it now. But with the hopes that as Christmas comes, it will make the light of the world even more powerful to us as we realize we don't live in the darkness. We live in the light because we have the Savior who is the light of the world in our lives. Now, some of my comments might sound a little bit like a few of the things that Pastor Marcus said these past couple weeks because we're in the book of Psalms and the strategy of a lot of the psalmists, we hear a lot of the same things over and over again. And just like if you're a teacher, 
you know that one of the best ways to help your students learn is to reinforce, is to repeat a concept to a, 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 a group that you're trying to teach so that they'll learn that concept. So if there's something that you've heard a few weeks past, know that we're reinforcing that because God really wants to speak to you in that area. I've spoken in the past of a mission experience that I had between my sophomore and junior year in college. I went down to Mexico and uh, worked with a team of people down there on an orphanage. Um, Somewhere about the middle of that trip, I contracted an amoeba. I was really sick. I couldn't eat the food. Um, My my parents gratefully brought a sort of a a box of, of like crackers and kind of stuff that you could eat on a sensitive stomach. And that's what I lived on for about six weeks. And uh, during that time, I was, I was, uh, we were teaching orphans. And so I didn't comprehend Spanish very well. I took some Spanish in high school, but I kind of frag out most of my Spanish. So I understood a little bit of what people were saying. And yet I was also charged with teaching children uh, different subjects, math and Spanish and different subjects in their native language. And uh, the group that I was with were Americans that I didn't know. And so I went through a period of time where I felt very alone and isolated and depressed. And, uh, and yet, su- possibly surprisingly, at the same time, I had this hunger, this deep hunger in my heart for God. In fact, it was greater than any time up to that point in my spiritual walk, this hungering, this panting for God. And this is the place this morning where we find our psalmist in Psalm 42. Listen as he speaks to us. As a deer pants for flowing waters, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and I would lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and shouts of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. And therefore, I will remember from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Miser, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers in your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God in my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. 
Psalm 42 was written by one of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were Levites, and they were worship leaders, and they were singers. A lot of scholars believe that Psalm 42 was written by one of the sons of Korah who was in captivity, possibly at the hands of the Aramaeans in what is present-day Syria. The psalmist's words reflect the suffering cries of a person in captivity. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The psalmist longs for return to worship with the people of Israel as he led them in worship in the, temper, in the, in the temple or the tabernacle. He cries out, when shall I come and appear before God? How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and shouts of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. I mean, you can imagine someone in captivity with these wistful memories of a time when he was leading the people of Israel, those glad times in worship, and now he finds himself isolated and in confinement, and this produced a profound sense of grief and depression, and he, we can hear it resonate again and again in the psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Six times in the course of only 11 verses, the psalmist asks the why question. Two times he repeats the phrase, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in such turmoil within me? And another time he says, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? This is a guy who's in a world of hurt. This is why we like, frankly, this is why I like reading the Psalms because I can often identify with where they're at. I don't always have to be happy when I'm reading the Psalms. Sometimes maybe I'm not so happy and I might identify with the feelings of the psalmist. This is why it's food for your soul. If you've never really explored much of the Psalms, I really encourage you to read that because it will speak to your heart This is a guy in a world of hurt. I don't know about you, but the times in my life when I've asked the why questions about suffering, I've usually found heaven to be silent. Heaven is often still when we ask questions like, Lord, why did my spouse pass away at such a young age from cancer? Lord, why is my daughter's husband leaving her? Father, why was my grandchild born with such an acute disability? Lord, why did I lose my job? I love that job. Lord, why can't we get pregnant? You know, I found that asking these kinds of questions again and again during a time of suffering usually puts me in a a funk, quite honestly. And I usually find myself sort of spiraling down and wallowing in a sort of a pool of self-pity and frustration. I found over time that the better questions to ask are the what questions and the, what, and the how questions. Lord, what is it that you want to teach me through this experience? Lord, how is it that I can make the most of this difficult time? Now, the psalmist in Psalm 42 is really speaking about a universal human condition, which is the condition of loss. 
We may not be able to identify with the fact that we're a prisoner of war. That's what the psalmist was. But we can probably, every one of us, identify with some kind of loss in our life. We've lost a girlfriend. We've lost a marriage. We've lost a loved one. Um, We've lost our health. We can pretty much identify with that sense of loss. Then you throw December and you throw Christmas into the mix... And it somehow, at times, kind of heightens that sense of loss, that sense of loneliness, that sense of depression. I mean, it's a time when we're supposed to be happy, right? The Savior of the world, we're celebrating that event. It's a time when families are to be together. And yet, why am I so depressed? Oh, maybe it has something to do with the fact that I lost a family member earlier this year, or I lost somebody in December or I was, I've been taken away from the place of community that I loved and the people I knew. I remember for about four years, Jenny and I, we served a church in uh, North Carolina. It was a wonderful community, a wonderful church. But it was, it was painful at Christmas. Um, the South, any of you that have ever lived in the South, it's very family-oriented, very kin-oriented. And that we had a deep sense of aloneness, being away from our family at Christmas. And it seemed that every Christmas we were there, that, that, that sense of loneliness was compounded. So how did the psalmist deal with loss? How did he deal with the fact that he was in confinement, he was isolated, and he was no longer with the community that he loved? Well, I'm really glad that you asked. That's really important this morning. So there are a couple points here about how we deal with depression from this psalm. The first is, that God talks to, excuse me, that the psalmist talks to himself. He remembers God's faithfulness and he practices positive self-talk. Listen to him. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and I would lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and, sh- and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? And why so much turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Do you hear what the psalmist is doing in that? First, he remembers. He remembers. He remembers God's faithfulness. He remembers when he was the worship leader and he led the people of Israel into the tabernacle, into the temple. He led them in times of worship, great songs of praise and how wonderful that was. And then his soul kind of drifts back into the sort of melancholy states. And he says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so much turmoil within me? And he seems to catch himself. And he responds to his own soul. And he says, soul, no, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He practices positive self-talk. He's talking to himself. He's... Pastor Mark reminded us a couple weeks ago, whoa, if we get into that sort of toilet bowl experiences where all we're focusing in is the negative, boy, we can go down the chute really fast. But the psalmist right here in the midst of this psalm catches himself and he says, no soul, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to hope in God. I will yet praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist engages his will. He takes action. He doesn't let his feelings run roughshod over him. Now, I want to say that we're not all created the same way. Some of us are more feelers than thinkers. I'm sitting here this morning, and I'm singing these Christmas carols, 
And the words and the melodies, sometimes minor key melodies, will just bring tears to my eyes. I mean, it will flow through my heart. It's like, I don't know, I don't even have to have the words there. The music will do something to my heart, and I will feel the music deeply. Some of you are like that. Other of you are 10 more thinking on the Myers-Briggs scale, and you're taking in the words, and it's going through your head first, and then it's kind of translated through your heart. For those of you that are, that are feeler types, you can't let your feelings just run roughshod over you because you'll be, you'll be like the person James described as the double-minded man. You're going here, you're going there because your feelings are high, your feelings are low, up and down and up and down you go. You have to, allow, you have to think and allow your thoughts to direct your path. We all know what this is like. You remember when you were little and you were a little kid and you didn't feel like going to school, right? And so you told, you said to mom, Mommy, I feel sick. I don't, I don't kind of want to go to school. Okay, you can stay home. And you know in your heart you feel fine. You're just pulling the rug over your, wool over your mom's head. Sometimes she gives into that. Sometimes she doesn't. She puts that thermometer in your mouth and it's like, unless you have a temperature, you're going to school. Amen. There you go. Uh, but but that's, that's, so, that's so important. I was walking uh, out of the YMCA. You know, the y, those of you that are members of the Y, you know that in the Y, as you walk out, you'll sometimes see on the chalkboard a scripture verse or you'll see a little positive thought for the day. And there was a, a great uh, positive thought from Joyce Myers. And she said, she's a Christian uh, teacher, and she said, it's hard to have a positive life if you're thinking negative thoughts. And I thought, oh, so true. So true. Positive self-talk. The psalmist practices positive self-talk in the midst of a very negative situation. We need to talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. So that's the first way that we can help with our depression. The second way the psalmist says... He talks to God. You need to talk to God. And you need to practice gratitude. He looks for evidences of God's grace, however small. Listen to this. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Now, you can read through that psalm and just sort of skip right over that little verse. But that's a very important little verse. That little grace, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is in my heart. That's an important grace of God because that grace is sustaining that man while he's in captivity and confinement. That's a grace of God. He remembers the songs that God gave him as he led the people of Israel in worship. We can't just take that for granted. Gee, my brain remembers those things. Yeah, it's a grace of God. It's a gift of God. I remember at a, at a church uh, that I used to lead not too long ago, there was an African-American woman in that church. And she had, like several African uh, uh, people that I had met, um, had this wonderful song of the Lord in their heart. Those of you that know you have African friends. She, when we would gather in a small group, people would be praying, and she was kind of self-conscious to pray out loud. Instead, she would sing the song of the Lord. She would sing a song that ministered to the people in a profound way right then and there. I don't know how she did it. I don't know how her brain came up with the song that was just right for that moment. But it it was exactly what we needed to hear. And people would be 
enraptured by that. It was as though somebody opened the door and let God in. People would just listen to that and their hearts would be filled with the Holy Spirit. So you think about the psalmist who said, you know, at night the song of the Lord speaks to me. This is how God ministered to this man who is in complete isolation. God does that. These graces that God gives to us. Are you grateful for the countless manifestations of God's grace in your life? Did you know that every gift that you have in your life is from God? James says every gift is from above. Every perfect gift is from above. Anytime you have something good that happens into your life, a grace that happens, it's from the Lord. It's uncanny how the Lord knows what we need when we need it. You might be having a bad day. You're kind of down in the dumps. And gosh, you receive a phone call from a friend and maybe an old friend who you haven't heard from for years. And it just cheers you up and changes the whole course of your day. Or maybe you get a little note in the mail from somebody you haven't heard from. And it's an encouragement note. And it makes you feel better about things. Sometimes a very small act of kindness can make a profound difference in the life of another person. I think that's the example that Jesus is giving us when he says to give a cup of cold water to one of the least of these in my name. You've done it to the least of these. I used to read that and I used to think, well, gosh, Jesus, what's the big deal about giving a cup of cold water? But if you think about it, if you're in the desert, and my lips are kind of parched, Mark was going to run up and give me water, but if your lips are kind of parched and you're, you're dying of thirst, you're dehydrated, a cup of cold water at that moment is more valuable to you than a million dollars. I was really impressed this past week when someone said that collectively we as a church picked 800 tags off of Christmas trees here the last couple weeks. Isn't that press? You can give yourself a clap. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. Thank you. And you went out and you responded to that. You went out and you, you bought a gift. You brought it. And it's going to people that you don't know. And it's going to make a profound difference in someone's life. Somebody said that the gifts given to teenagers this year were ex- extremely generous. So a simple act of generosity can sometimes have a profound effect on a person's life. We just never know. So thank you for being a conduit of God's grace. God's manifestations of his grace are sometimes large and sometimes small in our lives, but we always see them happening. I remember there was a, there was a time not too many years ago when I was completing a doctorate of ministry degree from Fuller Seminary, and I needed one more course. It was a 12-unit course, and it was expensive, and we didn't know how we were going to pay for it. And I was pastoring a church, and one Sunday, um, this couple came up to us. They were friends of ours, and they gave me a card. I said, oh, thanks, Jim and Mary. That's nice. You know, I thought, encouragement card, whatever. Maybe it was close to a holiday. I didn't know. I, I threw it in the car, and I drove, drove home and opened it up. And, oh, my gosh, my little eyes grew white as saucers. Inside the card was a check for the exact amount of money I needed for this 12-unit class. And I thought to myself, why would Jim and Mary give us all this money? (laughs) 
And I thought, they didn't even know how much this class cost. And come to think of it, they didn't even know I was enrolled in a doctorate of ministry course. How did they know? The grace of God. God gives us what we need when we need it. The older I get, the more I am in awe of God's grace. One of my favorite hymns from the old Presbyterian family hymnal is The Wonderful Matchless Grace of Jesus. It doesn't matter how small or how large the grace is. It's all from God. It's all from the hand of a loving Heavenly Father who gives us what we need when we need it. I don't know about you, but the other day I was driving down Soundview and we had had days and days of rain and all of a sudden the heavens parted and the sun came out and all of a sudden my whole countenance changed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the grace of this sunshiny day. You know, how did you know that I needed that? I bet I wasn't the only one. Gratitude is the appropriate response for every single grace that we have in our life. And gratitude is the most powerful weapon that you can practice to overcome depression. So what does the psalmist teach us about overcoming depression? He says, number one, he says, talk to God. He said, remember God's faithfulness and practice proactive, positive self-talk. And secondly, he says, talk to God. No, talk to yourself first and then talk to God. Talk to God and thank him for the incredible grace that he gives you in your life in so many different manifestations. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful when we really stop to think and look closely at the complexity of life and the life that we have in you, of how much grace you pour out into our life over and over again. Even in the midst of a storm, when times are difficult and we We're not hearing the answer to the why question, Lord. You provide manifestations of grace that are beautiful for us. They comfort us. They give us solace, Lord. And the natural response should be one of thank you. Father, I pray that you would birth that into our heart more and more this day. In Jesus' name, amen.